0: So I feel like I've had guests on that have done a great job in breaking down just how fragile our economy really is and just how bad it could get. Now I hate being the guy out there who says, hey I think there's something wrong and then not give you the solutions and steps for you to get through it. I've searched high and low for someone I feel like is well grounded and knows what they're talking about when it comes to preparing for an emergency. Well finally by asking around and doing a little bit of networking I found that guy. His name is Marcelo Serjopoulos. Marcelo is the business owner of Food Storage Depot, which is one of the largest emergency supply stores in the country. This guy lives and breathes this topic. On this episode, we get a little bit of background information on who Marcelo is and how he got into emergency preparedness. We then talk about some of the challenges you could face in the near future that may force us into those kinds of emergency situations. We then move into the realm of solutions. Marcelo then gives a quick explanation of the seven principles of being prepared to just not survive, but to thrive in an emergency situation. Finally, at the end, he gives you, the listener, an opportunity to become better prepared. Now, I normally don't advertise on this podcast because I would never want you buying something I told you to and not having it be great. I break that rule on this episode. I have looked into Marcelo's business and I've talked to him many times off the air and can fully endorse the goods and services he provides all you need to do is click on the link in the description of this episode to sign up for a five-day seminar with marcello where he goes into a deep dive into how you can be better prepared to get through any emergency that's next on this episode of the mormon renegade podcast so i just want to take a moment to thank you the listener When I started this podcast, I wasn't sure if anyone would really listen. Now, to my surprise, this thing has taken on a life of its own. And that's all due to you, the listener, spending your time here with me, and it means a great deal to me. Now, as a husband and father, I'm keenly aware of how important time is. It feels like there's just never enough of it. So when you are spending your time here listening to this podcast, I feel a responsibility to never waste your time. In that spirit, as this podcast has grown, I feel like I need to do you, the listener, justice. I want to continue to produce good content and upgrade the audio quality. That takes better equipment and better software, and that all takes money. Now, I've tried to advertise, but you'd be surprised. There's not a lot of people wanting to advertise on a Mormon Fundamentalist podcast. I know, surprising, right? Now, if you want to help support the podcast, you can do that one of two ways. The first is go over to mormonrenegade.com and hit the Donate tab. There you can make a one-time donation... Or you can go ahead and set it up to be a monthly recurring donation. Your choice entirely. Now, option number two, because I'm a capitalist, if you want to head on over to mormonrenegade.com, click on the store button, you're going to find that we've got some new swag out. we got some t-shirts. We have a tote. We have cell phone cases, water bottles, coffee cups. we got a bunch of stuff and more is going to be on the way. So if you feel like that's something you could do, again, head on over to Mormon Renegade and check all that stuff out. If you're not in that position to do so, I completely understand. We're all squeezed right now with high gas prices and high inflation. So even if you can't, please keep listening and maybe keep the podcast in your prayers so we can continue to grow, produce good content, and better audio quality. Thank you. Listening to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Welcome back to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. As always, you can get a hold of me uh, either by email at MormonRenegade at gmail.com. You can also get a hold of me on uh, Instagram and Twitter and getter under the handle Mormon Renegade. Also, we have a website up, and that's mormonrenegade.com. So go check that out. Let me just tell everybody out there, I've been super jacked for this this conversation. We're going to talk to uh, Marcelo Sergiopoulos. And this is a guy who has experienced uh, some of the things I've talked about on this podcast before. I've had Kelsey Williams on, and we've talked about how just how fragile the economy really is. But I don't want to leave you, the listener with no solutions. It's one thing to point out a problem. It's another thing to give maybe some solutions. So my hope is is that in, in our conversation here with Marcelo today, we can actually come up with some solutions and some ways that you can look down the road and have a level of confidence going forward, no matter what the economy does or the world does. So Marcelo, dude, I'm super jacked for you to be here. Thanks for being here, man. Yeah, super excited to be here too. So thank you. So tell me a little bit about you. You're you're a member of the LDS Church, but before mm-hmm. you, you mentioned you were a convert and you grew where did you grow up at? California. California. Now you also lived in Brazil, right?
1: I didn't so my mom's Brazilian, my dad's Greek. I was born in America so I'm a Greek Zillican.
0: Greek Zillican. I like that. But you know, I I think I think there's, you know, forms now with all sorts of different genders. I think there should be something there with, you know, Greek zillion on it.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. So Brazilicans, they do exist and I'm one of them. And and I'm I'm proud to be so. But yeah, totally. I grew up uh grew up in Southern California with, you know, the whole culture of the Brazilian, um, the Brazilian culture in my family. I mean, so we ran around the streets without shoes on and had really tough feet and climbed every tree you can find and and just little hyper boys and it, it was pretty fun. You know, it was great, but um yeah, loved it. So when did you move to Brazil? So I went there on my mission. Okay, and and, uh, and I'm a convert to
0: the church, so it was kind of interesting. Um, actually, I'll oh, go ahead. What were you we going to say? Yeah, let's stop there. How how did you convert to the LDS Church, right? Because yeah. I I'm a convert to the LDS Church, and then later a fundamentalist. But yeah, I I'm always like, it would be a really hard sell, right? Like because yeah. when I joined, it was like three hours of church. Right, I remember thinking, if your God can't get it done in an hour and a half like everybody else's, I don't know what you want me to say. Um, yeah. how, what what drew you to the LDS Church? What what happened well, there? It's a. It, I'll try to condense the story a
1: little bit, but the um, we we grew up. Well, I didn't know this until I went on a mission, but um, supposedly my mom had joined the church uh, earlier in Brazil, and then I was I was blessed in the church as a baby, and then we left the church. Okay. So I grew, grew up Greek Orthodox. I grew up metaphysical. You know, we would go and do, uh, you know, uh, meditation at church for metaphysical church. We we'd, uh, did Baptist born again, you know, a whole bunch of stuff and just got to learn a lot of wonderful religions and got to see people from all different walks of life. And, and what's interesting is people say, oh, my church is true and your church is false and all that stuff. Well, there might be some truth to a church, true and false church, but that doesn't mean every person is good or bad in either church, right? and i got i get to see that i got to see the um the beautifulness of other religions you know what i'm saying where where you have some of the most faithful loving kind people ever and i i still like to go to other churches because it just reminds me you know that we're all all the same i don't know if you remember uh i, I don't know if you've ever read um hierman uh books um about uh, joseph smith brigham young all that stuff i don't yep. know if that yep. you remember where he talked about zion Yep. And he, he talked about how Brigham Brigham talked about how the the world will come to the gates of Zion. Do you remember that? I do. And the, they'll want to be part of the um, Society of Zion for its social and economic programs, and and um, they'll say, "Hey, can we be part of your society?" And the answer is, "Sure," but you have to commit to something. What is it? You have to bow your knee and uh, um, confess that Jesus is the Christ. Well, even if we don't believe in Him, yeah, we'll do it. What else do we need to do? You know, do we have to be baptized in your church or something like that? He goes, no, you have to promise that if you're part of our society, you can't uh, persecute your neighbor because of their beliefs. Yep. And they say I mean, we can be we can worship the white dog. We can be a practicing Jew or a Greek Orthodox or anything we want. Yeah. As long as you don't, um, you know, persecute your neighbor because of their beliefs. Anyways, growing up outside of the church, it really has given me an appreciation for that, for what I just talked about that if we all come together and just love each other and understand that there's strengths all over the world, you know, you and I, um, we're talking about the Muslim uh, experience I had in Istanbul where I was able to go into, you know, the blue mosque at call, call a prayer time. I, as a Christian here, I'm not supposed to get out there and get on the lines and go down and, and kneel with them and stand up with them and kneel with them while the, while the imam is at the front doing all his chants. But, um but I did and And the the sixteen year old boys next to me, all these kids next to me, they knew I wasn't Muslim. They asked me ahead of time, and I, I, they knew I was Christian. But I'll tell you something. they were so excited to talk to me afterwards, and they just loved me. and yeah. I, I sat there and I said, "Man, I wish the world can see, you know, you know, outside of people who have their blinders on and are and grow up in a place where they're ignorant." But but where Istanbul is just filled with so many people all over the world that come into, you know, to um, you know, do business. Uh, these the the these Muslim boys have interacted with all types of religions, all types of uh, countries, all types of languages, and they were so open and loving to me. But um, people don't see that. Anyways, going back to my story, and I apologize, that
0: was a little bit of a no. No, I think you bring up a good point. I think that's something that that's worthwhile to bring up because even Joseph and Brigham said, you know we're in the, Mormonism is, is the religion of truth, right? So wherever we find truth, wherever wow. we find love in some respects, that's Mormonism, right? I mean, that's, that's what we
1: are. Yeah. And that's what I loved about Joseph Smith. I loved how, um I loved how he um, was so open to like, I, I remember let me back up a little bit. I remember an experience where I was taken by a family member to go speak to a pastor, um, because I, I didn't understand. Um, I, I was talking to one of my family members and I just didn't understand, um, why I was being persecuted so much for my beliefs. Right. And I said, look, I don't persecute you. Why are you persecuting me? Right. And, um, and so I asked a couple of questions. I said, you know, let me ask you, so what you're saying is, is because, um, first of all, uh, you know, I believe in Jesus Christ and, and this person said, uh, well, you can't be saved. And I, I'm going, why is that? I say, I absolutely need him. I absolutely need him. You know, I cannot be saved without him. He is my savior. I confess that he is my savior. And I said, according to your religion, I'm saved because of my confession. I am saved. Let me be saved in mine. I just leave me alone, please. Mm-hmm. He said, well, you don't, believe in the same, you don't believe in the same Jesus I believe in. And I said, well, I, I believe in a Jesus who lived in Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago, who died on the Christ, cross for me, right? I believe in Jesus who loves me tremendously and loves you as well. And he says, nope, no, no, your, your Jesus is totally different than mine. And I said, that's not true. You know, and I love this person I'm talking about. So I hope I'm not demeaning him. Um, but um, at the time, another family member of mine said, well, I well before that, let me back up. Um, so I ended up saying, well, let me ask you a couple of questions because I really don't understand where you're coming from. You keep telling me that because of my belief in Jesus Christ, I'm going to be thrown into hell and because I'm going to get thrown into hell, my body is going to be torn to pieces over and over and put back together, and I'm going to be in eternal flames being burned, burned, burned for eternity. Right? He goes, absolutely. I said, even though I just confessed that Jesus is my savior, I'm still going to go through that hell experience. Right? He goes, absolutely. I said, but then in Aborigine, in the middle of um in in the middle of Australia. You know, five hundred years ago, who never even had a chance to listen to he, um, any missionaries, who never even heard the name of Jesus Christ ever, never even had the chance to even, even know there was the Jesus Christ, um, runs in front of a raging animal that's coming after his family, and because he did that, he died and saved his family's life. He goes to hell and he gets to be burned and he gets to be torn apart for all eternity as well because he never got a chance to to confess Jesus Christ, and he said absolutely. I said, wow. Okay. And then I said, on the flip side, because um, somebody confesses Jesus Christ in the right religion, right? Quote, right. They can they can come in and then they can rape, they can pillage, they can do all this stuff for the rest of their lives and be the most evil person. And they get saved, but the Aborigine do- doesn't goes yep that's what it is now I, i'm not cutting down the religion because i also understand that there's different sects of on um, born again and and uh, non-denominational that they that they believe no if you're going to commit yourself to christ you commit yourself to being good right and others say no as soon as you commit yourself to christ you're saved no matter what you do so there's all different types of beliefs out there you know obviously there's tons of beliefs in the mormon church right That just right. you, you got to respect different sides um in this belief it didn't make any sense to me. Right. It just did not. It didn't click. And so I said, I don't. I'm sorry. I don't get your religion. I don't. It doesn't make any. I. That's not the Jesus I know. You're right. You know. Yeah. We don't, yeah. We don't worship the same Jesus that I know. And so so I said, if you can help me understand, that would be awesome. Um, and so what happened is um I ended up. Uh, he he said, "Well, let me get you in touch with one of my pastors, and I'll, I'll let you talk to my pastor." I said, "I would love that because I really don't understand where you're coming from. I would love to understand you so that at least I can have compassion for you and your beliefs." And so, so what happened is um, they set up a meeting with one of their pastors, and I ended up going with another relative of mine who's who's uh, who's black, right? And and we ended up going to um, talk to this pastor. And when I walked into the office, I think it was Santa Ana, California or orange, California. something like, that. I can't remember where it was. I walk in and there's a lady uh, greeting me, the pastor. And I look down on her desk and guess what it says. It says, um, what was it? Director for the ex Mormons for Jesus. And I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, Oh, no, I'm in trouble. <laughs> and so um, I, I'm going, Oh man, what did I get put into this? I just wanted to ask some questions. Well, um, I'm sitting there going, oh, well, let's just go with it. Let's see what happens. So they take me into this back room that looks like a living room. They actually made it look like a living room. And it has a, uh, a like shelves um, on the side with tons and tons and tons of books from the LDS church. Okay. And, and, uh, and they go into this living room setting. They sit me down and here's her, her husband, and all these people from her congregation. Right. And they're surrounding me. And I'm sitting there going, okay, this is interesting. And I said, thank you for taking time to talk to me. Um, would you mind if, um, would you mind telling me about your religion so I can understand? I really, really want to know where you're coming from. And so uh, they sat there and they just started telling me about my religion and started talking about, all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, they started telling me everything that's wrong with my religion and everything like that. And I said, wow, you know something? I'm sorry. Can I just stop you? I'm not bashing your religion. I came here to learn about your religion. Would you mind telling me about your religion, not mine? And they said, well, the only way we can tell you about our religion is to compare it to some other religion. I said, awesome. Pick the Catholics, pick the Jews, pick somebody else except for my religion. And they said, fine. And then they went right back to bashing our religion, you know, the the things we believe. And I am sitting there going, wow, this is really interesting. So I'm listening to them. And I just sat there. and I said, can I just stop you guys? Stop. I mean, seriously, stop attacking me. I'm not here to fight you. I want to learn from you, not fight you. I mean, you have an opportunity to teach me your beliefs and you're totally bashing me. I said, let me ask you something. And I turned to the lady and I said, what what type of sins did you commit to make you so bitter and angry against the, the church that you have to spend your whole life and energy fighting it instead of promoting Jesus Christ? And yeah. she goes, "She goes, well, I was never a member of the church. She, she had never been baptized, but she bragged about how she had taken all the discussions. And while I'm talking to her, I'm sitting there going, you know, you expect me to believe you as an ex-Mormon for Jesus when you're lying to me. I mean, you're lying. You were never baptized in the church. How do you expect me to believe anything you say? And so I, I turned to her husband. I said, let me ask you a question. I said, when were you baptized and when did you leave the church? And then she he said, well, I was never baptized either. And so I turned to all the congregation. I said, have any of you ever been baptized in the church? None of them, not one single person in there. had ever been baptized in the church. And I sat there and I said, okay, you are bashing me and expecting me to believe you when all of you are lying to me. Yeah. Expect me to believe you. And then they, they would start going off and going off and going off. And they'd said, okay, tell you what, why don't you give us one revelation? The church has received one easy, even any revelation since uh, since Joseph Smith. And I said, awesome. If I show you one revelation since Joseph Smith, will all of you stop bashing me? And will all of you shut up? And all of you go to the church <laughs> with me? And will you all get baptized in the church? And will you stop fighting me and fighting everybody else? And they all shut up, right? Because they're... Yeah. it's not going to happen. But the interesting thing about it is, is, um, I was in this situation. And the reason why I bring this up is because they got to a point where I was still kind of new in the church. I'd been back from my mission just barely. I didn't know a ton of stuff about, you know, Joseph Smith. I actually, um, when I was in the MTC, so uh, back up, I'll, I'll tell my story in just a little bit. When I was in the MTC, I didn't believe in Joseph Smith. Okay. I didn't oh, wow. believe in I didn't believe in the Book of Mormon. I went on a mission because a girl said, "Hey, I won't marry you unless you go on a mission." <laughs> so I was sitting there going, "Oh man, well, how do I get on a mission?" You know something? I didn't believe in Joseph Smith before I didn't, I, and I got to. But I, I had an experience in the in missionary training center when I was preparing for a mission that taught me he's absolutely a prophet, absolutely. You know, it wasn't me wanting it; it wasn't me asking for it. It was Heavenly Father telling me it. Even the prophet of our church could say, "Hey, it's all a joke." You know Joseph Smith isn't a prophet. Book of Mormon's not true, and I'd have to sit there and say, "Sorry, my my well, my testimony didn't come from you, um, prophet. It came from Christ, from God. Right. You know, from God's Father." So it's really interesting. But but the point is, um, I don't know what my point was. But oh, we we're going talking about uh, Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, Zion, and how uh, yeah. how we. All, all come together, right? Yep. Yep. Instead of, instead of um, seeing the differences and everything else. Anyways, you you asked me a question about um, my conversion. So I I grew up outside the church, and when I was about eleven years old, the missionaries came and knocked on our door. Okay, uh, my mom had been a, a member um, before, and she she ended up um, she ended up letting them in, and we thought they were awesome. They were fun. Uh, you know, I remember Elder Jones was one one of the names of it, and he could put his uh his foot behind his neck and i thought that was really cool wow we, we called him we called him elder snake jones and um and i don't remember them teaching me a, a single lesson but i remember the feeling i felt around them does that make sense yep they absolutely asked, yep they asked my brother and i and you understand the spirit so you know what i'm talking about yep. what i thought was really cool before we even started this podcast is you said can we say a prayer and it was a beautiful prayer and i love that thank you for saying that i mean thanks thanks for even offering oh. to do that but but you know what, what the spirit feels like and you you want to be led by the spirit and that's so cool that's what i felt i felt the spirit for the first time probably in my life and i didn't know what it was as a little kid right but but they asked my brother and i would you like to be baptized and i said absolutely yeah i don't know what this is but i want to be baptized so i got baptized and i remember feeling something really powerful after i got baptized the spirit really was strong and i i didn't walk around as a little you know 10 year old 11 year old kid i was 10 years old at the time and um almost 11 because I remember I was about a month, month and a half before my birthday. And uh, walking around, not wanting to step on little ants, not wanting to hurt anything. Because right. I just felt something totally different that i never, never felt before. I felt this strength in me. Now, either that went away or I got used to it. I'm not sure. But, um, but what happened is, um, fast forward, my family started going to church. But again, we grew up Greek Orthodox, you know, Catholic, all that stuff, whatever. We grew up, you go to church, you go home, you really don't pray much. You know, you don't really talk about the church much when you go home you don't really read scriptures you know in the in greek orthodox church you just go to church because that's what you do and you know if you can't make it every sunday you go at least on eastern christmas right right and so so that's what we did and after a while um our whole family left the church including me well fast forward again um i'm i'm uh what was it 19 years old 19 years old and i'm uh djing um, I'm a DJ, so I own my own business since I was 15, right? And um, and, and I'm DJing a uh, gig on Catalina Island. And there's these two blonde girls in front of me that are super cute, you know? And they're all dancing and smiling at me. And I'm like, wow, you know, DJ boy. And I'm the, I'm the, I'm the highlight, you know, and everything else. And and I, I ended up thinking, wow, they're really cute. But then I picked one of them. And man, I couldn't have picked a better one for me. Because she was more spiritual than me, and she was just amazing, and um, and I fell completely head over heels over her because I never had anybody that spiritual in my life, and um, and so she she and I started dating, and I just wanted to be more like her. I wanted to be. I mean, it was just amazing, you know, how how somebody can lift you up just because yep. they live closer to Jesus, right? And so so she um, ended up saying, "Well, I won't marry someone unless they want a mission." And I'm like going, well, how do I go on a mission? She goes, well, you got to go to church. And I'm like, oh, man, well, how do I do that? And she goes, come to my church. So 30 minutes away, we started going to church. And then um, and then, uh, um, fast forward, I ended up uh, doing everything I needed to to get my papers in. And the funny thing is I put my papers in. And um, and after I get them in, uh, the um, my friends all started asking me, where do you think you're going to go on your mission? And the first thing that popped in my mind was Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And I didn't even know where Rio was in all reality on a map. I knew it was in Brazil, but I didn't know where it was. And my yeah. family's my family's from Belo Horizonte, so it's totally different, right? And so, so I, I don't know why I said Rio, but I said Rio. Well, everyone says that's the last place you'll go, and and I kept telling people for weeks I'm going to Rio, go, going to Rio. Got my um, mission call, and it, and my girlfriend, and her mom are, are there when I'm opening it up. Not you know, and my girlfriend tears it open. And I just pause and she reads it across the across the kitchen because she ran away with it. You know, she grabbed it because she wanted to open it. She ran around the kitchen and we all paused. She tore it open, pulled it out, and she said, Marcel's drop is you've here been by called to serve in the Rio de Janeiro mission. And I go, <laughs> Are you serious? And I start screaming. And I go, wait a minute, she's totally lying to me. <laughs> you know, she totally made that up. And so I went there, grabbed it, read it, and I'm like, "Serious?" And I just ran outside and did a flip into the grass, and I just go, "I can't believe it! I'm going to real." I'm like, "Where's real?" <laughs> <laughs> nice. And so I ended up getting um, into the MTC, and uh, and um, I didn't know how the rules worked. I didn't know I was supposed to get set apart before I went on a mission. Um, in fact, if I if I could back up, the funny thing is, I'm going through all the interview process to go on a mission. And I go in with the stake president, and he says, oh, by the way, if you're going on a mission, you're going to have to wear garments. I'm like, what are garments? And right. Goes, long underwear. And I'm like, long underwear? Yeah, if you're going to go on a mission, you're going to go through the temple. And I go, okay, what's in the temple? And my my relatives were saying, don't go through the temple because uh, it's all it is in, in there is, you know, people, it's all black in there, and people wear black robes. And uh, <laughs> they, they, they do animal sacrifices and they do sexual ordinances and i'm like cool you know as a teenager you don't tell a teenager to that right yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh. You're,
0: you're thinking that sounds so metal <laughs> I <want> right
1: to, <laughs> i want to check that out man i get in the temple it wasn't anything like that you know i was like wow you know totally they were a little bit wrong <laughs> a lot
0: wrong <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> so anyways uh my my um my interview with the stake president he says you're gonna have to wear garments i'm like what are those long underwear and i remember being in scouts for a little bit when i was really young uh, cub scouts and the older the older men would have these long underwears and i thought oh well you wear boxers when you're a kid and when be when you get older you wear these old men underwear if you want to i didn't know it had to, <laughs> i didn't know it had anything to do with the church. yeah you know? sure yeah you know, I didn't know what that was so he um he said if you're going to go on a mission you have to go through the temple and if you go through the temple you have to wear these garments and you're gonna have to wear them 24 7 and i'm like oh my goodness are you serious like that's crazy. I'm a beach boy. I mean, underneath my pants right now on Sunday, I've got my my swimsuit. I'm about to get on the bus and go to the beach right after church. And he just sat there and he said, no, nah, you're going to have to wear them 24-7. And with the most sincere, sincere heart I could, I, I turned to stay president. I said, president, I can do that for two years. And he,
0: goes,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and he says, no, it's not two years. It's the rest of your life. And I'm like, what? And I, I committed to that. So I, I was really green. I had no clue what I was doing. So I get in the MTC, never read the Book of Mormon before, never didn't know about Joseph Smith. Start reading the Book of Mormon for the first time in my life. <clears throat> and I and I'm sitting there bored to death because I'm sitting there thinking this is just like a regular story. There's like no crazy doctrine or anything like this. I missed it all, you know, first Nephi. And then I get to the end of First Nephi and um I hit the Isaiah chapters. And then I go, wait a minute. I grew up with Isaiah in the Greek Orthodox church That's snake Joseph Smith totally stole Isaiah out of the, uh, out of the Bible put it in the book of Mormon and I didn't catch the whole idea that they came from Jerusalem I didn't I couldn't sure. catch all that. But I remember thinking what a snake I mean couldn't he make up his own book why did he have to copy you know copy some other book and put it in his book and I started getting really upset and I started preaching to all the people there you know that that Joseph Smith is false that he's he's a snake you know that he stole all in this the stuff. MTC in the MTC, wow! So I made one of my one of my teachers cry. The other one was trying to figure out how do we get this guy out of here before he ruins all the missionaries. And my other uh, mission, missionary teacher said, "You know, don't worry, you'll figure it out." So um he was the only one that had faith in me at the time. And I don't I don't know how they made it through that through me, but but um I kept reading. By the way, um, afterwards, and I got to Second Nephi two, and I'm like, "Wow, this is really interesting." If nothing else, Second Nephi two is really philosophical. That's really interesting. Then I got to Second Nephi nine, and something pricked my heart, saying, "You better take this a little bit more serious, because this book might be true." And then it took me six months to get an answer. Uh, in my in my uh, missionary experience, I was telling people, "I know Joseph Smith is a prophet, but I don't know if the book is true." You know, but uh, um, it took me six months before I got an answer. Now, back up to where I learned about Joseph Smith is, I'm inside these um, these meetings with all the missionaries, and and I remember being on the um, front right. Side when one of the missionaries was in there going, I know the church is true. I know that Joseph Smith's a prophet. I know that. You know, I started crying, and I still remember who he was. I still remember his face. I still remember everything. And in my mind, I'm going, "You're such a liar. You, you grew up in your goody-goody Mormon families, and and you've been brainwashed since you were little kids. You don't know any different like I do. You know, you can't know anything like that. You know, there's no way you can know that Joseph Smith's a prophet. You can't know the Book of Mormon's true." <clears throat> and I started thinking these guys are just totally brainwashed that was my attitude well fast forward a few weeks later when i was fighting against joseph smith when i didn't like joseph smith um i don't know why i didn't leave the mtc probably because i didn't want to disappoint my girlfriend at the time and um i'm in this meeting and the uh my branch president um and by the way i had a branch president and two counselors i thought the counselors were psychologists i didn't know that (laughs) I got you. I feel you. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a branch president and two counselors, you know, so that they were supposed to give, they were supposed to donate their time to do psychology for the missionaries. And so I didn't know what that meant. And so anyway, he's up there talking about Joseph Smith and I'm in the back going, Oh, another one. Right. And I felt the spirit so strong telling me that Joseph Smith was a prophet, even though, you know, like what changed, you know, here I am fighting against him. And it was so strong as if heavenly father opened up the, the windows of heaven and let the spirit just just come down on me in particular out of that whole room. And for about two hours, I kept feeling it. And I just knew that he was a prophet. All my doubt was gone. It wasn't that I learned a ton. It wasn't right. like, I like, you know, I read all these books or anything like that. He just gave me this absolute knowledge that he was a prophet. And more than that, <clears throat> he took away 100% of the doubt I had. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So I, didn't, I didn't understand why he was a prophet. I didn't understand how he was a prophet. I just knew he was a prophet. So fast forward to this lady, you know, with the um, ex-Mormons for Jesus. And she's um, she's grilling me. And I just say, I know he's a prophet. Like, I, I, can't, I can't erase what happened that day. I didn't ask for it. Right. It happened. And so it was just really interesting experiences. But that kind of got me on the road uh, to where I am today. So regardless of... You know, I like I teach, I, I, I mentioned, um, I think when you and I were talking about, I don't know if I mentioned it here, but it's interesting that, you know, if, when I teach the youth, because I used to be in charge of EFY and it sure and all these things. When I teach the youth, I ask them the question, you know, if you saw President Nelson walking down the street, smoking a cigar and, you know, you know, cussing and uh, drinking and whatever else, would you lose your testimony? And I'm sitting there going, um, they would say, wow, we wouldn't even know what to believe. And I'm just like, well, I believe in Christ. And it doesn't matter, you know, the thing about it is I'm not, I, I believe 100% in Jesus Christ, um, 100% in Jesus Christ, because of an experience I had, okay, not even a question. And I, uh, 100% in Joseph Smith, 100% in the Book of Mormon, I, I totally believe it. Um, I believe in the priesthood, 100%. Now, do I put my faith in a person? Okay, and the truth is, no, in Jesus Christ. Right. You know, does my belief make me, you know, uh, follow um, prophets and, and uh, apostles? Absolutely, okay. But I also know that Joseph Smith had, you know, some pretty tough times with some apostles, and even Jesus Christ had had one of his apostles who who ended up um, joining a, a secret conspiracy to turn against uh, Jesus Christ. And Jesus is a pretty good guy, you know. Right. And so, so I don't put my my faith in people, but I do put my faith in priesthood. And I and I do put my faith in, in all the things that Joseph Smith asked us to, which is even Joseph Smith said, don't don't put your faith in me, you know, right. it's like, You know, put yourself in uh, faith in Christ. And so to me, I loved I love President Nelson. I love you know all, um, the apostles. I love all these you know the leaders and everything. But it wouldn't surprise me if any of them left. It wouldn't surprise me. It it wouldn't do anything to my testimony. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And that that's where I'm at right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So. <clears throat> I brought you on because of your um, expertise in preparedness and in um, in you know food storage, just being prepared for the worst. Yeah. And one of the things that fascinated me when we first talked on the phone is you said you were in Brazil when hyperinflation kicked in. Yep. Can yeah. you tell us what that looked like to somebody on the ground? Because I've, yeah, I've, had, I've had guys on here who are really knowledgeable about economy. And yeah. I feel like I've, uh, that, that they've done a good job in pointing out the fact that, hey, we're, we're one event away, right? In, in, in the world of economy and in the world of intelligence and that sort of thing, they call it a black swan event. We yeah. are one black swan event away from economic ruin
1: absolutely yeah I, tell me I what
0: that tell me what that looked like okay. in in brazil as a missionary
1: Okay, uh, let me let me pre it with um you know for the last twelve years. Let me give you my my history a little bit. Sure. I, I used to be director of entrepreneur development for the state of Utah um, under Governor Huntsman. I helped set up the entrepreneur program for the state of Utah. I love um, building businesses. I've done over over probably thirty businesses, and um, and when I do the businesses, I absolutely love helping people with my businesses. Money doesn't motivate me. It's just craziest thing, but but helping people building building a project doing something meaningful man that totally motivates me so about 12 years ago some friends of mine came up, up to me some investor friends and said hey um uh, the uh, um, you know why don't you pick a team why don't you pick whatever niche business you want and why don't you and, and we'll fund whatever you need and you go, why don't you go grow um, grow, grow a business and I thought I know exactly what I want to do I've been thinking about it for a while thank you so much the funny thing is we never even had a contract. And they gave so much money to help grow my business at the time. And they're still my best friends. And that's the interesting. I wish the world could be like that. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Where people live by integrity instead of by by some contract and try to break it. Right? right. But what's interesting is 12 years ago, about 12 years ago, this happened. And I picked my team. I got my niche. And I was ready to get started. Um, with that niche i told one of my teammates on a saturday morning i'm going to go to the internet and try to find a company we can purchase so that we we don't have to start from scratch hang up the phone with with ryan his name was ryan and when i hung up the phone i went to google and as clear as day something said do food storage and i was like well i didn't wasn't thinking about that so i clicked on looked at um looked on, on on food storage and I, I went to page two of Google and I found a company called Food Storage Depot, guy running it out of his basement, barely started, but he had a lot of links. And I thought, you know, I'm going to offer this guy to buy his business. We're going to try to rank his company and, and build this business. And so I called him up. He wasn't expecting to sell anything. I gave him a really good price. He said, I'll take it. And we took over Food Storage Depot right in its infancy and grew it to number three on the Internet, um, shipped from all, all over the world, uh, you know, got the Navy SEALs as a client. I mean, just awesome things that happened. For wow. Me. Um, With that in mind, um, I've had so many conspiracy theories thrown at me since, uh, you know, I started studying conspiracies from 2000, um, I'm sorry, from 1999, okay, back in the day when when I started um, studying on the internet about the Illuminati and about this and about Carol Quigley and all these different things that are out there, right? And um, back in 1999, when you found it on the internet, because the internet was so new, it would disappear in two seconds. Right. i would go the next day and it was gone and i'm like oh that must have been sensitive information somebody took that down pretty quickly now today there's so much disinformation that you just don't know what to believe yeah and and back then i could study things and find actually some truth you know and so now it's just really hard to find what's true what's not true is q true is q not true is is this is trump real is it not real you know it's just you know what do you what do you know what do you believe you know you just got to keep an open mind that maybe possibly lucifer is really good at masking things and and creating you know his own his you know his own, his own uh, controlled opposition right so you just don't know anything but over those 12 years all these last 12 years i get all these conspiracy theories that are thrown at me all the time And I always listen. That's the first rule of an entrepreneur is you always listen because you might think you know everything, but if you listen long enough, you'll learn something from other people. And so you never cut down an entrepreneur. You always listen to their ideas and you're always humble enough to listen. I always listen. I'll tell you that 80, 90% of the conspiracy theories go on a shelf and I keep my little finger there and I, I just keep my finger up there in case there's enough evidence for me to pull it down. Well, probably about 10 years ago, I pulled one of those conspiracy theories down because I knew there was enough evidence. Um, Do you want to know what that was? What's that? It was that there would be a world economic um, uh, uh, crisis. Yeah. 10 years ago, I knew that. I absolutely knew that wasn't a conspiracy anymore, that there was a group of people trying to create a world economic crisis to be able to bring people under control. And I knew that. So my 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 mind was going to well, how are they going to do this? I mean, are they going to crash the dollar because the dollar is so intertwined because of the petro dollar that it could uh, it could um, influence so many nations all over the world? But I said, but that wouldn't you know, you crash the dollar, uh, a lot of these third world countries really don't depend on the dollar, so that wouldn't cover every nation. It wouldn't cover a ton of nations. It would miss so many nations. So I started thinking, are you are they going to do a credit crunch? But then I thought, you know, a lot of countries don't even live off of credit. They live off of cash, so that that might not work. Are they gonna uh, crash the the derivative market? Which most people don't know about the derivative market, but the derivative market has about over, just in the US alone, it's over half of a quadrillion dollars in the derivative market. Now, if you were to add up all the currencies in the whole wide world, it doesn't add add up a quadrillion, right? So I thought if they crash the uh, credit or the derivative market, that's such a bubble yeah that would take down every nation you know that would crash nations all over the place and so i thought wow maybe they'll use the derivative market to do it and that was my best theory but then all of a sudden 2020 comes around <laughs> and and uh and the pandemic happens right and um and it took me about one week into the pandemic cuz they're saying oh one out of every five people will die one out of every 10 people are going to die they just started throwing out all these big numbers and they started closing down all the businesses now fast forward we all know that one out of ten people one out of five didn't die right right i got i got super sick with covid i almost literally died so i'm not minimalizing it but if it were a real pandemic okay where one out of five or one out of ten people were dying the government wouldn't have had to close down our businesses we would have done it ourselves right nobody would have gone out okay but what was interesting is at that time and um I, I had family members who got sick with COVID by the way, but we didn't know what that was at the time in December. Cause they got back from a cruise I did January, too. January yeah. my family. Okay. I talked to people at one of the big hospitals and they were seeing things from September, October in 2019, but somehow, somehow it came out in 2020 it hit the United States. Right. But, um, but what's interesting is uh, is um, during this time, it literally took me about one week into the pandemic all the hype, all the things, all the businesses, everything, closing down everything. And all of a sudden it hit me as strong as day. This is brilliant. Wow. This is brilliant. I never saw this one coming. You know, let's close down the, let's close down the nation for a week, 10 days. Right. Right. Let's close it down two weeks. Right. Let's close it down two months, one year, one and a half years. Yep. You know, just keeps going and you can't go to the United States or you can't go to California with the big, gigantic, you know, freeways they have there. And they usually have traffic and you can't slow down five cars in the front on a five lane highway without expecting a traffic jam two miles back. Right. It doesn't happen. So when they start, you know, closing down all the commerce and they start doing all the things they're doing and, you know, all the all the animals are killing and all this stuff, it's going to it's going to have repercussions. But I just thought, man, this is brilliant. How do you blame something on something you can't even see? Yeah, and so, so with that in mind, we are. It doesn't take much for our economy to fall apart. It doesn't, just like Brazil. Okay, just like I'm about to talk about, it doesn't take much for our economy to fall apart. It could be one news story where the where the BRICS nations launch their currency and everybody loses trust in the U.S. dollar, and because they don't believe in the U.S. dollar anymore, nobody wants dollars anymore right? It could be, it could be, I mean, it could be a variety of things. There could be so many things that, but we're one news story away at all times from us not having the security that we think we have. And when I speak to all these big groups, I can't, I can't tell you how many groups don't believe there's anything bad going to happen. I did a survey uh, to a church group before I spoke to the church group two weeks earlier. I gave them a survey to know what they believed. You'd, You'd be surprised. I asked these questions like, um, from a scale from zero to 10, okay, 10 meaning it will absolutely happen, zero meaning it won't ever, ever happen, right? Um, how many of you believe that we could enter World War III within the next 20 years, that we could have a bit, large earthquake in U- Utah within the next 20, 30 years, or in your lifetime? Actually, I think I put that one as a lifetime. Um, anyways, I ask these questions, and, and I even asked the questions, um, how many of you believe that Christ could come in the next 20 years, 30 years, right? How, how many um, believe that uh, Zion could be established in the next 20, 30 years, you know? And I, I literally had people in, you know, in the church say zero. <laughs> I'm like, going, oh. I would never put a zero. You know, and, and I'm sitting there going, I would never, you know, I'm not a complete 10 about everything. I'm a strong nine, but but I, I would never put a zero. I mean, I'd at least put a one, right? Right. What's interesting is this: when I took all the averages of everybody in that in that ward, and I put it together, and um, and I've been doing emergency preparedness professionally for so long. I mean, I own the longest, the largest emergency preparedness retail store in Utah, Food Storage Depot. I um, I started the longest-lasting emergency water in the world. Okay. Um. The you know I, I work with filters I work with um I have a, a, a food line called Ready Harvest it sells on Amazon it it, uh, it it's um you know we we have a whole warehouse we do you know millions of dollars worth of food and all all this stuff I have a little bit of experience in the, in all this stuff but um anyways going going back to uh the man I just went ADD I, I it's was okay
0: a- I'm riddled with ADD you're fine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was an ADD moment. I was making a point with all that and I went back. What was I saying right before I started bragging about all my accomplishments just now?
0: Uh, just um, with with uh the you were in this ward and you gave them the oh, survey, wow. and then you so, took the aggregate so, number.
1: Yeah, so I took the aggregate number, and what was interesting is this. Um, when when I aggregated all the numbers on an average, simple average, no, no weighted average, but a simple average, um, I, I took all the people who believed that Christ could come that zion could be established in the next 20 30 years and guess what the percentage of people who believed christ could come in the next 20 30 years what would three, you read three percent okay uh and that that i've had people say three percent or five percent or all that stuff it was actually 46 percent okay but what's interesting about that 46 percent is if you think about it um the parable of the of the ten virgins okay that's about the t- that's about the parable of the 10 virgins. Because think about it, let's let's go into the um the story.
0: Yeah, about many, half, yeah. Yeah,
1: how many of the 10 virgins believed that Christ would eventually come? Five, right? No, eventually come. Eventually come. All of them. All of them did. Um how many of them fell asleep?
0: I can't remember. All 10. Okay.
1: Okay. But when the call came um, because the Lord tarried, right? The Lord didn't show up when he they thought that he would show up, right? Five of them were ready and five of them weren't. Right. Okay. Now you can say that's a spiritual analogy. You can say that's a food storage analogy. That you can say that's temporal preparedness, spiritual preparedness. That there's a whole ways a bunch of ways that I could take it. But what's interesting is 50% of the people, and I would, I would say that 50% is probably pretty true with most Christian religions.
0: I think know? so, yeah.
1: And where 50% believe that Christ could come in the next, not will come, could come in the next 20, 30 years. And um, and so it makes you it makes you wonder because here's all these Christians that believe He will come someday. All 10 virgins believe that. Okay. Five of them were ready, five of them weren't, right? And then five that weren't say, Hey, we can't make it, and you know, whether that's temporal or spiritual preparedness, we can't make it without your oil. Can you give us some of your oil? Right. And they're like, Well, we can't, because we wouldn't be able to have enough for ourselves. And right. uh, again, spiritual, temporal, whatever it is, right? But um, but the point is, what side are you on? You know, like I believe Christ could come in the next 23 years, and I want to be ready for that. Now, if you look at the Doctrine and Covenants, DNC forty-five, and you look through the uh, all the different scriptures we have, um, it's interesting because if you aggregate all these different verses, what does it say? It says, interesting, in, interestingly enough, even uh, Matthew twenty-four. Okay that there will be um that I think it's gonna get worse than, than we expect in, oh, in sure. DNC, DNC forty five it talks about how it talks about how um the people will say uh the the Lord delayeth his coming until the end of the earth okay so that's DNC forty five right there um the 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 Lord delayeth his coming until the end of the earth and when you when you look at that you think, okay, well, what does that mean? It doesn't mean to the end of the dirt on the ground. It means to the end of all people on the earth. And then you look at another part of the DNC and it says that um, if the people don't repent, the, the earth will be left desolate without inhabitant, right? Now, if those two extremes could be presented in the scriptures, okay. And, and you have in Matthew in, in, uh, in, in the New Testament where one person will, two people will be in a field and one will be taken, two people lying in a bed and one will be taken, two people will be toiling, one will be taken, whether that's physical, spiritual, whatever it is, right? If, it, if you can go to the extreme that the world can be left without inhabitant, that the Lord delayeth his coming until the end of the earth, uh, nobody's alive anymore, you know unless they repent. Um, you can imagine that it could get pretty bad before Christ comes. And so, and this is the point I want to make with this before I get into Brazil. Wow, ADD moment.
0: <laughs> it's all good. It's um, all good.
1: The point I want to make with this is just for those listeners out here who believe in Jesus, okay, who believe in Christ. Just know that when we hit the seven years of tribulation, which a lot of people think, oh, we started then 2017. I don't think we have. My, my opinion is when we hit the seven years of tri- tribulation, we'll know. I mean, it's going to be bad. And I think it's going to last so long that people are going to start questioning, is Christ real? Right. Why isn't he showing up? Why are so many people dying? Why are so many people surfer- suffering? Why are, like Joseph Smith talked about, why are, why are uh, mothers turning against daughters, um, son, fa- fathers against sons? Why are they killing each other? Why is society falling apart? Why, you know, why is the uh, constitution um, getting to a point where it's almost falling apart where we have to save it? Why is all this stuff happening? Is Christ even real? and and as a little lesson here we got to remember to be the five virgins that even though all 10 started doubting all 10 fell asleep because they started doubting that he would make it that night okay that we need to be the five that are prepared enough to believe that he will still come tonight and when that time comes we're going to have relief we're going to have help in that tribulation will be a lot of miracles a lot of amazing miracles um, on my mission, I remember, uh, I didn't know what the spirit was, but I started learning and I remember, um, being out there <clears throat> and, uh, and we, we had an experience where, um, I, I was about to turn down an alleyway and the spirit told my, my companion and I don't turn down that alleyway cause you'll get hurt. And on one side of the alleyway was a, a mountain and uh, the other side of the, um, alleyway. And there were two, two walls, like brick walls on both sides. On the other side was houses. I could see all the way down the quarter, quarter, half mile of the alleyway all the way to the other street. And by walking down the alleyway, which we did probably a hundred times, um, I, it saved us so much time instead of walking a mile around the whole the whole thing. I could see and there was nothing, nobody down there and we could get through it pretty quickly. We could run if we needed to. And when when the spirit said, don't walk down, my companion, and I said, do you see any trouble? I said, no. And I said, let's just do it. Let's go. Right. So we started walking and we got about halfway through and right before, um, right before, right when we were in the middle, the guy starts running down the hill of the mountain to jump on us and and kill us, you know, or, or rape us, or not rape us. Uh, um, uh, what's it called when you steal people's money? Um, mug them. Mug them. Mug us. Mug us, kill us, whatever he was going to do, you know. And Brazil, Rio de Janeiro at the time was number one and number three most dangerous places in the world. Now, what's interesting is he gets to the point where he's about to jump on top of us when a gate, a gate opens up. I've never seen that gate open before. I didn't see anybody there opening the gate. I just saw it go and open up. Till this day, I think it was an angel or spirit or something who did that for us because I didn't see anyone there. It just opened up. The guy jumped in a bush because he was afraid somebody was going to catch him. And we ran and got out of there. Now, the spirit told us there was problems, right? But we didn't listen. Now, fast forward in the mission, I'm walking down a street at night and I feel the same feeling. And I turn to my companion. And I said, hey, we're in trouble. And he goes, what do you mean we're in trouble? I said, well, something's wrong. And he goes, but I don't see anyone. I mean, why do you say that? We've walked down the street a ton of times. And he goes, I go, I, I, I know it. I feel it. I, something's wrong. So we look around and far, far, probably about a couple hundred yards back. It's a guy hiding behind cars and things trying to sneak up with us. And I say, see that guy right there? He, go, He's about to get us. And so we ended up running into a born again church while they were doing their drumming and their clapping and everything else. And we just ran inside that church because it was safe and stood in the back and the pastors kind of got tense and said, what are they doing in here? Right. We're like, no, seriously, we're just trying to save our lives. You know, that's it. Right. So so we learned to listen. Now, fast forward again. I'm I'm uh, I'm walking down the street through uh, some wooded area because we cut the, these corners as missionaries do to get back to our apartment like we had done probably a 100 times before. And um, like I always do. Right. And so we're cutting through these woods and these three um, people with with um, nylons on their head come running right at us as fast as they can screaming. We're going to kill you. Um, uh, assault. Assault. We're going to kill you. Assault in Portuguese. Right. And they come running right out at, at us with the nylons on the head. And I didn't feel any fear. I didn't feel any danger. I didn't feel any darkness. I felt light. I just didn't know what it was. So I put my hands in my pocket, kind of leaned on one foot and kind of cocked my head while I just stared at them like, like they were baboons running at me. And I just stared at them with no fear and just kind of crunched my eyes a little bit going, what are these guys doing? And they ran all the way up to my companion and I and stopped about two feet in front of us. And they took off their nylons and they're their uh, you know, 17, 18 year old kids thinking that it would have been smart and funny to scare the missionaries right i didn't know that okay the spirit knew that and so when i stared at them um they asked this question when they stopped they said why didn't you run and i said because the spirit told me that there was nothing wrong and they said when we ran at you and started trying to scare you and you stared at us like you just stared at us you scared us so they said that to me (laughs) And I ended up um, uh, teaching two of them and baptizing two of them, which was really kind of fun. But what's interesting is this. The point is, regardless of the religion, regardless of the spiritual background, the point uh, I'm making on this is regardless of how bad things get in the future, five of us at least need to be on the side where we trust Christ enough to make it, that we trust Christ will come even though we can't see how he'll ever come. Right, because things are getting that bad, and again, we have the promise that he'll shorten the days of tribulation for the elect's sake. Right, for the elect's sake, he's going to make it better for people. So, anyways, um, my point is trust in Christ. Right. Right. Now let's, let's go to uh, back to Brazil since I just started that, and since it took us forever to get to this point. So right. was like, well, <laughs> would you, I hope you don't mind that I actually not at all, not but at was, all. No, you you asked me to um, go by the spirit, and I did. Yep. Uh, no, that's good. And, and so, and I, and I will continue to go in that in this conversation um, as you asked me to go. No sweat. Um, when I was in Brazil, it was interesting because Brazil and United States are two different animals, okay? Brazil back in the 1989, 1990, when they went through 30,000% inflation in 1990, okay? Just give you a feel what that feels like. <clears throat> Say you get a $1,000 paycheck on January 1st and you don't spend it by the time you go to spend it on march 31st 3 months later it literally has the purchasing power of $25 yep okay now if you were to take $30,000 a paycheck $30,000 in january 1st if you go to De- uh, december 31st of that same year you have the purchasing power of less than $1 at that point $30,000 okay imagine that's that's some that's some people's paycheck for the whole year yeah and, that, and you go buy a you know a thing of bubblegum with it right a, a candy bar with it instead of paying your mortgage right and so that's what happened in brazil now in brazil at the time okay people didn't go in debt when they were going to build a house they bought one brick at a time and they paid cash okay so brazil was in a place where they could handle this type of situation a lot better than we could handle it today if we were to go in, because we live in debt. Everybody, pretty much almost everybody in the United States lives on debt, credit cards, mortgages, you, know, you name it. It doesn't matter, right? We're a debted nation. They could handle it a lot better than we can today. If it were to happen here, we would be in trouble. We wouldn't be able to handle it. But them, they knew how to get around it they had enough community to be able to help neighbors out. They lived by cash, not credit. So they knew that, you know, they didn't have big houses. They didn't have all these expensive things. They, you know, if, if the uh, utilities went out, okay, well, they're used to that happening anyway. Okay. Right. That's okay, right. So, so I learned a big lesson because what happens, and I'll tell you what will happen in our country when things do get worse, if they go down the same pathway, you go to uh, Target and and you see um you see the aisleways and you want to get a um a vacuum cleaner how many different types of vacuum cleaners would you find there
0: dude i try to avoid target my wife loves target (laughs) i try to avoid it but i'm going to go out on a limb and say you could probably find 12 at any one yeah
1: maybe 10 a dozen i don't know i don't i don't i don't go to target much either but um the thing about it is you'll probably find a number of different types of vacuum cleaners right and then you you go to um, you go to look at blenders, right? And you see ten blenders and ten coffee makers and ten this and ten you know five ten of of each type of thing, different types of brooms, different types. I mean, you just have so much variety. Now, when a nation starts losing its its the power of its currency, it cycles. I mean, I don't know if you knew this, but this last month, uh, November, a lot of people didn't spend money.
0: Yep, I know that. People are
1: starting to really worry, right? And it's becoming a cycle. Now, when people spend less money, how many businesses can stay in business?
0: Not very many. The big boys, right? The ones that take some financial abuse.
1: Absolutely. But you start seeing more and more businesses go out of business because people aren't spending money. Well, that's what happened in Brazil. What happened is you would go into a store, and instead of seeing 10, uh, blenders or 10 coffee makers or ten uh you know uh, vacuum cleaners or whatever else you have one one of each and it's expensive and it's really low quality and because that's what it is you know people aren't spending money on getting a new broom they're using their old brooms right people aren't spending money on a new blender you know uh they're using their old blenders you know or borrowing their neighbors right right need it and um and so you can't sustain businesses if nobody buys anything. Right? And it becomes a cycle. Now, I did learn a cool lesson, an amazing lesson. And this was from a hot dog vendor on the corner in Brazil in Petropolis in Rio de Janeiro. He um he would stop he would stop me once in a while and say, "Do you have any American dollars?" I said, "I do." And he says, "Are you going to take them to the bank anytime soon?" I said, yeah. He says, what are the banks? What is the bank paying for one of your dollars? A thousand of yours. He says, tell you what, if you have a dollar on you right now, I'll pay you a thousand ten and I'll take your dollar and save you a trip to the bank. I said, deal. That's a win win. You know, awesome. I'll take it. Give him a dollar. He gives me a thousand ten. I go take that thousand ten and guess what I need to do. I have to spend it as fast as possible because that thousand ten might only be worth 800 tomorrow. Yep. So I got to go buy as much as I can, as much as I can quickly. Now, what's interesting about what he did is he just got $1 for me for a thousand of his notes and a week or a month later or whatever, <clears throat> that dollar is now worth 10,000 of his notes. Right. So he goes, find somebody who will buy a dollar for 10,000 of his notes, even if they don't jack it up. It's the same price the bank would pay, right? Right. You know, or he goes to the bank and now he gets 10,000 of his notes. And now his 10,000 of those notes can buy exactly the same amount that he could a, a month earlier for 1,000 of his notes. He hasn't lost any value. Does that make sense? Because yep. of the dollar.
0: Yep. Right? It absolutely does. Yep. Okay.
1: So he hedged in hedged inflation with a dollar. Now, dollar was the strongest currency at the world that I know of. Now, you look today and you're like, how would I do that today? And I would say two things. Number one, you know, find something like silver, you know, poor man's gold, right? Silver, gold, but I, I like silver um, to be able to hedge inflation so that it, when inflation happens, you're able to, um, you know, take your dollar might be worth 50 cents in a month. But that silver coin can can uh, can buy you two dollars, right? right. Okay, It can double in price because it keeps its value. So so right now, I think silver is being completely manipulated because there's no way silver should have a a margin of uh, more than a couple dollars. Sure. We're, we're having 15 twenty dollar margins right now, so it's totally being manipulated in, in my opinion and um and so i think silver someday will explode is my opinion total opinion that's my that's my uh um that's my disclaimer that i'm not a financial advisor you know right but um but i think it it'll someday gain a ton of value and it it could be it could act like a really good hedge for inflation for a short term now whether our economy goes down financially and then gets better and then goes down again or whether it goes down and just keeps getting worse there, there will be a time in my opinion after 12 years of professional experience hundreds of thousands of dollars mistake in mistakes you know um uh, tens of thousands of hours of experience you right in doing preparedness my opinion is I believe there will come a day when things get so bad that even a silver coin isn't worth anything
0: yep I I agree with you I so the last time the economy really took a dump back in 2007 2008, <clears throat> um, things got really slow for surveyors. I was blessed because I was able to kind of, you know, do my own thing. And I surveyed for farmers out in rural Idaho and, and I, I did okay. It only took me three surveys a month to, to do more than okay. So I was, I was very blessed. However, I had a ton of time on my hands. And so I read everything I could on economies. And the one case study I keep coming back to is Germany, the 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 Weimar Republic, yep. right? The the republic that was in power right before Hitler stepped in. Mm-hmm. And when hyperinflation hit there, and and they they inflated their currency for a different reason than we do, but the the results are still going to be the same, I fear. You had guys who, when hyperinflation really kicked in, started to demand to be paid every day. Because just as you said, the the dollar lost their purchasing power. And they weren't getting paid in checks. They were like, basically, back the Brink, Brinks truck up and we'll get paid in cash. The wives would be standing right there. They would give the money to the wife to go buy the necessities, milk, bread, whatever. and Because it was ri- rising at such an accelerated pace. It was hundreds, if not thousands of dollars more the following day than if you'd have bought it right then. Mm -hmm. The the other experience I had that taught me a lot was right before the lockdowns happened for the pandemic. And I was at home and it was about midnight. I mean, it was strange. I was just up reading like I normally do. I don't sleep much, but I remember I just felt the spirit say, go to Winco. Hmm. Go to Winco. So I jump up and I, I'm i like, I don't know what I'm doing, but okay. So I just, I take a drive. I couldn't sleep. I was restless that whole night. And I remember I walked in the store and the shelves are just bare, bare. Wow. And people are lined up. I mean, the line was so long and most wincos are laid out fairly similar, but where the check stands were. The line stretched all the way back by the bakery, all the way back down, and almost down to where the meat was.
1: You're kidding. Oh my and goodness. people were
0: hoarding. I shouldn't say hoarding. They were just, It's not like it was greed. They were scared, right? There was a palpable fear yep. that I had never felt since like 9-11, right? That's the closest thing I could come up with. But I just remember I just walked the aisles. We didn't need anything because we my my wife is a rock star and we had plenty of food in the house and plenty of supplies and I didn't need anything. So I wasn't there buying anything. And it became evident on why I was there during that time, but I just walked up and down the shelves at flowers gone sugar's gone ramen noodles are gone. It's just gone. It's just gone. They're just bare and. These poor Winco people, they're they are unloading the truck, trying to restock, and they can't even get the boxes open. People are wow. all over the boxes, tearing it open themselves and getting stuff. Noodles, every, just anything you can imagine, right? Yeah. And, and as I'm standing there and I'm like, why am I here? Why do I have to look at this? And I'll never forget it. And I've never shared this story with anyone but my wife before this, this podcast that you and I are doing here. The spirit said... Just know this is a warning. Wow. This is a warning of things to come. Wow. And but a taste and a sample. And that left such a huge impression on me that as I've watched things begin to unfold now mm-hmm. over and over, I keep getting alarm bells going off in my gut all the time. And I, I'll never name names. There's guys I bring on the podcast, but there's other folks I talk to who have asked that I don't reveal who they are, but they're in the know. I'll just say it like that. Yep. And we are not stable. We are not solvent as a nation, and we are a hair's breadth away from things we haven't seen maybe ever. I mean, the closest you can come to is maybe the Great Depression, <clears throat> And I think a lot of people feel this. They don't know how to articulate it. They don't know what to make of it. But there is something wicked coming our way mm-hmm. that will be like nothing we've ever seen. And we the the laws of economy are a lot like the laws of physics. At some point, they're going to be obeyed. and mm-hmm. the 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 farther up you go, the longer the fall back down. And we haven't taken our medicine economically. Since the Great Depression, we've managed to squirrel our way out of any bubble. As bad as
1: we we weren't, thirty trillion dollars in debt back then either.
0: Yeah, and and so you go back and you do the math, and and you start figuring out what we've done. We, you know, we we averted one bubble by I shouldn't say averted. We 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 shortened it by extending credit. The last time we. And, and this is the hard thing for people to realize. I mean, really, the recession of 08 lasted probably 2012, 2013 before things really picked back up again. Mm-hmm. Um, if if we just look at that, that was shortened because we bought our way out of it with cash.
1: Absolutely. Well, now the cash is
0: gone. Now yeah. the cash is gone. What do we stop it with this next time?
1: Exactly. There's, n- funny, there's nothing left. You, you look at our economy and, and, and look at the int- look at inflation, period. OK, we we have the Dow, the you know, we have the um, stock market looking like it's doing really good and everything else. Is it really doing as good as it is or is it is it that our dollar has lost value and it appears to be doing just as good, even though it's going down? Right. You know, because dollar dollars change numbers. Right. Uh, value changes numbers. And uh, and you look at how many trillions are going back into spending. I think you know I think it's just a, a matter of time. You the government stops spending money, guess what happens? Things implode. Right? I think it's a false false um we're we're living in a false reality right now.
0: And <coughs> excuse me, we we absolutely time. are. Dude, they change they they change who can be admitted into the Dow, right? If yeah. if a company's doing too badly, they're like, "Okay, you're not part of this anymore to make those numbers look better." Yeah. If 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 an American citizen or an American business did their books like Wall Street and the government, we'd be in jail, yeah. and yeah. that's just the truth of it. And so, and so, I feel like we've done a good job here in diagnosing, you know, the the problem. And I, and yeah. I feel like I've done that on other podcasts. But now I want to present some solutions. Right now, I, I'm not a big believer in just being the guy who just says, you know, here's the problem, we're screwed. <laughs> See hey, you later. Good
1: luck. Good
0: luck. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I tend to be want to give. I, I, lo- <laughs> I love. I love like resolution. I love you my listeners. Like. Yeah. I love my listeners. I really do. As I've come to know. Know these folks. Yeah. I have a tremendous love for them and I want to present solutions on the way out because here's the thing hope is contagious, just like fear is contagious. Mm -hmm. And, and if we can be that people that just are, we're anchored to truth and we're anchored to things that are real, Mm -hmm. not only is that good for us and our family, but that helps us in being able to to tell people, you don't got to go dark here, right? Because fear and hunger is a volatile cocktail. And, Mm -hmm. and let's, let's, let's not just preserve ourselves let's show people the way out you know Absolutely. you don't you don't have to go over that cliff with humanity so the the other reason i brought you on is you have a lot of solutions right that doesn't mean it's going to be pleasant it doesn't mean it's going to be fun but there are ways through and and i want to talk a little bit about that Absolutely, yeah. Let's
1: talk a little bit about that. Um, if if we're going to talk about that, let me let me go a little bit further on what you're talking about. I when when I teach, um, I I teach from a more positive point of view, but also from a realistic point of view. I was teaching a group of people that were pretty wealthy, you know, and and uh, and I'm asking them how how much uh, how much food storage do you have, you know, how much um, how many supplies do you have, how prepared are you for for you know an earthquake or an economic collapse or anything like that. And it was surprising that um not very many of them had very many of anything Mm -mm. you know just even even um even here in utah (laughs) which is crazy you know you're just like preparedness capital of the world and barely barely anybody had anything now what's interesting is um the uh in fact a little side note if i asked i was talking to a group of men um one time and i asked them all these questions now if i asked their wives the question it was a separate answer yeah and i would say i'd say how many of you guys have at least a year's worth of food storage and all these men's hands go up if i were to ask the same um families of the women how many of you who would have uh, a years a years worth of food storage barely any of their hands would go up so what's interesting is women tend to underestimate how prepared they are and they tend to overestimate how bad things are okay Men tend to underestimate how bad things are and they tend to over brag how prepared they are. Okay. And it's just, it's just part of being a guy, I guess. You know, you got to show, well, I've got everything. And I have so many people say to me, you know, well, I don't need to really prepare because when when something really bad happens, I'm really creative and I'll figure it out then. <laughs> and that's that's the majority of that that is the majority of guys, right and I have all these women my my clients are primarily women, like sixty percent women and um and a lot of them are fifty six years old and older because they understand what has happened in history where a lot of twenty year olds go, oh, no, this is normal. this is how everything is. no, no, this isn't normal no. so so what's interesting is um, is men, men don't know where they're at a lot of times it takes a women a lot of times to say no we need to get prepared and uh, and and if if a guy has a attitude that all figured out when it happens um and you know and again you can't force somebody if you force them they'll go the other way you have to find a way to get them interested without forcing them but um if if that, they have that attitude just remember you know when you had your experience with with the the uh, um, shelves empty that could happen very quickly for good you know okay. not just for a day or two for good if an EMP attack happened and all the electricity all the trucking all the food production all the water pumping everything happened no no refrigerators it could be done for a year or more okay absolutely and and in, you know congressional um, the congressional study on that said up to 90% of the United States could perish or die because of that right and so there's go ahead i,
0: I was going to say i i have a i When Hurricane Katrina happened, I was on the Eastern Shore of Maryland, and I worked for a bigger company, um, and we uh, we got work to go down there and do the levees. And I made a good friend who worked for FEMA, and he said EMP is his nightmare scenario. That's the one that keeps everybody awake at night in his agency. Ninety percent, you know,
1: possible, very, 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 very possibly it's going to happen. And um, and so people got to understand, you got to prepare for the worst and hope for the best, right? And so I'm talking to this group of very wealthy people and I asked a question. I said, you know, you guys, um, it was guys. And I said, uh, you guys aren't very, um, very prepared, but you have the means to do so. I have the widow's might walk into my store. And with the last little bit of money they have, they buy everything they can to get prepared for emergencies. But here you guys, you know, you go, you can go on uh, vacations for $50,000, a ten bucks three, and enjoy your vacation with your family. But you won't even spend $1,000 on emergency food when you have the means to do so. And I said, can I just give you a, um, from a logical point of view, let's just let me ask you a question. Do you think the dollar is going to be stronger next year or weaker? And then you're like, well, it's getting weaker. Inflation's happening. Um, do you think you're going to be able to buy more with your dollar or less? Well, obviously, we just answered that question, less, right? Well, do you think possibly we could go through, go to a, a recession? Well, yeah, it's been the longest stretch in our nation's history without a recession. Obviously, it could happen. I said, if it does happen with us being trillion, $30 trillion in debt, you know, is it possible that that recession could turn into a depression this time like we had 100 years ago? Okay, They said, yeah, obviously it can. I said, if there was a depression, would the depression in your minds only last a year or less? Or do you think it would last a year or more? And they're like going, well, if it were a depression, not a recession, recession i mean the last one took what four or five years to get out of right five six years if it were depression yeah i mean it would last probably seven ten years or more and i said then you just answered your own question you know you know things are going to get bad you know they can get really bad why don't you go spend your money and buy food for a dollar today instead of a hundred dollars tomorrow and go get thirty-year shelf life foods, like real foods, not not the ones they say up to twenty-five-year shelf life, like you see online all the time. Some of the um, some of the companies out there that advertise the most are are the cheapest, um, worst products in our industry, but they have the biggest margins, so they can outmarket everybody, and everybody thinks they're the best, right? But they're not, you know. And so, you know, I don't play those games. I think they're dumb. So get away from the up twos twenty up to twenty five year shelf life foods and all that stuff. Um, get to the um, foods that actually do work. But I was telling these guys, why don't you go buy, you know, um, go buy uh, extra food and put it away. And I said, if I'm wrong and we do not go through anything at all, okay, and this world is perfectly perfect, you know, ten years from now, and there's no recession, there's no depression, there's still be- going to be inflation. You you'll be able to turn to me and say, "Hey Marcel, that was that was the best investment we could have made. You know, we bought um, food for a dollar, and now it's a hundred dollars, and and we're eating it up, and we're saving a ton of money from um, from groceries because of your advice. Thank you so much." Right now, if the economy does crash, or we go through an EMP or whatever, and they have all that food, then the um, then they can thank me because they actually got prepared for emergencies. So the, the point is people have to get out of this mentality of, of, I don't need to get prepared until things get that bad. You need to get prepared before they get bad. It's it's better to be prepared a year early than even just one day too late. Does that make
0: sense? Absolutely, it does. Absolutely, it does. Because when it comes, it's too late. And I have a feeling that this is going to come, <laughs> to borrow from Scripture, come like a thief in the night, right? Yeah, we absolutely. We're. we're what we're up against now is is nothing that you – it's not something you can plan for a week beforehand. This will be drastic, and this will happen overnight. It doesn't take much. We we, we saw it, right? Just the – just a government official saying, hey, we're going to go ahead, and we're going to – stay staying home for two weeks, mm-hmm. right? Panic panic in Orem Utah right the one place on God's green earth that should have been the best place to be during that right common sense would dictate oh these people have had it drummed into them for decades get prepared have food storage no we were flat foot we were as flat footed as anybody else when when that punch came to the face right and and it bore it out. And it was a spooky, spooky scenario to stand in the middle of that store. And and I've never been someplace where the fear was that palpable. Yeah. Right? And, and and I felt genuine concern. I, I just wanted to put my arms around people and be like, it's going to be all right.
1: And, and see, that wasn't even a huge crisis. No,
0: that was planned. <laughs> that was planned, right? That was, yeah. that was... We're, store that was with the idea of, and we're gonna keep stores open through this, so you can still go get food. This yeah. was not war tomorrow, where all of a sudden we can't get supplies in, we yeah. we stop trading with China, we we stop importing something. It was hey, the stores are still going to be open, but everyone's working from home for two weeks, and we're canceling school. It was just that that set that whole cascade of events into motion. Absolutely. It, it, it revealed how fragile we really are as a society. Yeah, we're, we're totally dependent. And I, I have a friend who's very
1: extremely wealthy, and he... Um, he drove, drove around with his family and a, a, he sold all his properties, tons of properties. And he drove around um, in a RV for the longest time looking for where he's going to live next. And here he is, you know, totally wealthy in an RV with a bunch of kids, uh, hairs unkept. People were probably thinking, poor guy, we probably need to donate to this guy. And uh, and he could live anywhere he wanted to. He ended up um, moving to uh, a place in Idaho and um, and he bought like a little piece of farmland and, uh, and kind of out in the boonies. And he said something interesting to me. He said, "Marcel, we're still close to a Walmart. That's too uncomfortable for me. Yeah. If we're if we're that dependent that we need to have a Walmart, and I have to depend on a Walmart, that's still too uncomfortable. I, you know, the point I got from him is uh, I'd rather create pain now and gain later rather than gain now and pain later. You know, I'd, I'd rather pay pay the price of the pain now to learn how to get prepared now, and buy the supplies, get what you need. Don't hoard. Okay, don't." Don't become an extremist, but do the right things, you know, learn how to do it. You, you and I talked about it. I'm going to be putting on a preparedness challenge and I, I can get you the link later on. But I'm going to do a preparedness challenge where I'm going to teach people how to do seven steps of preparedness to get ready. Right. And, and the interesting thing is in our industry, we have two camps. We have we have um, preppers and survivalists. Okay, people have heard of preppers and survivalists. I went to the internet, tried to figure out, okay, what's the definition between the two and where's the delineation? Because obviously I'm a prepper, I'm a survivalist, I'm both, right? And what's interesting is preppers learn survival skills and survivalists learn prepper skills. There's there's a mix between the two. You're not just a prepper, just a survivalist for the most part. Some people are. But, the, but, but when I looked at it, I couldn't find a definition. Where's the delineation? Until I thought, okay, wait a minute, I can define this really easy. Not hard. A prepper is somebody who focuses on supplies over skills, and somebody um, who's a survivalist focuses on skills over supplies. Okay. Now, it doesn't mean that's all they do, but that's the focus, right? Now, on the outskirts of the prepper are the senseless, fear driven, ignorant hoarders who buy anything and everything, fill up their whole house, make their families really uncomfortable, but they don't know what they're buying. They're just buying everything. Okay. And a lot of times the stuff goes bad. It goes uh, spoils. Um, it's the wrong stuff. You can't live off of it. And they just spent their life savings on this stuff, right? There, there's an order to getting the right stuff at the right time. And that's what we teach. I'll, I'll be um, sharing some of that stuff in the, in the challenge I'm going to be doing. And you need to know what to buy without going overboard and becoming a hoarder. Now, on the flip side, on the skill side, you have the survivalists, right? And on that side, if you're going to go to the extreme, you have either minimalists Okay, who say, well, I don't really need any supplies at all because I know how to use a knife and I know how to survive and I'll be able to survive no matter what. So I don't need any supplies. Okay, and that's an extreme. In all reality, I was I was uh, teaching at um at a survival uh, conference uh, about 450 people there, and I was teaching for about four four or five days on preparedness. Okay, not survivalness, but preparedness. The prepper side. And um, one of the guys actually told me, well, I really don't need to get supplies because I know how to survive. And I said, why would you do that to your family? Why would you do that to your kids? How, how, how many people do you think are going to go after the same neighborhood, neighborhood dog? OK, it's like there's only so many of those dogs. Right. How are you going to feed your family? Are you going to try to um, kill their cats, too? And everything else, everyone else is going to go after those same animals. Why don't you, while you have the means, get some supplies in place to be able to protect your family? And if you get to an emergency and you can use all your survival skills and never have to dip into that supply of food and water and everything else. Awesome. Good. Good for you. Awesome. But why would you put your family in danger in a place where they are going to be so uncomfortable because maybe your survival skills aren't good enough at that point? Right. Why wouldn't you just get the supplies now and just do the right thing? And he goes, oh, good point. You know. And, and um, the point is, on the survival side, there are the extremists, which are either minimalists, you know, I can survive off of anything, let me show off, right? And uh, typically guys, right? And the women are like, no, we need supplies. And then the other side are militants. And those, again, are, are based on fear or ignorance, right? Because they don't believe they need supplies anyways, um, because they have enough guns and bullets that they're going to just fight everybody and take uh, somebody else's supplies. And if anyone gets close to their house, they'll shoot them, right? And so either those are just extreme, the hoarders or the minimalists or militants. The truth is, it's good to be a prepper. It's good to be a survivalist if you have the right skills without going overboard and you have the right supplies without going overboard. Those need to come just like a Venn diagram. Those two circles need to cross over. And that middle circle, that middle area right in the middle where they cross over that's where people can thrive, not just survive during emer- emergencies. That's a thrivalist. That's where we're, we're starting to teach people is not not the negative side of preparing, but the positive, the thrivalist. So I just purchased thrivalist.com, and um, and we're going to be uh, creating a whole new um, uh, wording in the industry called thrivalist uh, so that we we can teach people to get the right supplies and the right skills, okay? And, and the reason skills are so important is because think about it. What if you did get, you know, seven, 10 years worth of supplies, you have tons of supplies and all of a sudden there's something that happens and you lose all your supplies. Okay. You can't take away your knowledge and skills. Right. If you have knowledge and skills, okay, you can walk through TSA with knowledge and skills. You might not be able to bring all your supplies, but through TSA, they can't take that away from you. And so you have to have both sides. Okay. And hopefully you never lose your, your your supplies. But if you do, at least you have some knowledge and skills to back it up. So that's the thing. Those thrivalists, that's what we're going to be teaching people how to do is, is be thrivalists, And that's where we're going to be introducing in this big uh, preparedness challenge that's coming up pretty soon. So I'll, I'll hopefully get that link to you to help you out. Um, but anyways, I, I, I can go in a whole bunch of directions. Do you want me to teach um, in, in the five days of the challenge? I'm going to go in depth. In, into the seven steps of preparedness would you like me to touch on those seven steps right now or yeah let's still? just
0: touch on them i don't want you to give anything okay. away so to speak you know what i mean because i am a capitalist so
1: uh, i mean but but if I, you I, I could go on for hours on each step and not give a ton away because i have i, I spent over three thousand hours putting together a course for people to be able to uh do preparedness and perfect and there, there's so much material I could I could give a ton of material and stuff
0: more. We're we're already at the two hour mark. Oh we are. Wow. Let's let's go ahead and let's let's touch on those seven, right? Okay. Let's just kind of make a list. And maybe what I'll do is uh as as I edit this and get it ready, I'll also go ahead and uh, list those seven steps for people. Oh on, that's a great idea. And and then we'll have your link there and they, they can go to that link and, and get the get the full story so to speak but let's just hit those seven real quick marcello yeah let's do it so
1: so what happens is when when it comes to preparedness there's about four four sections in in my course that everybody covers i added three more that weren't there and i still put it all in seven people say to me oh you can't put all your steps in seven steps and i'm like absolutely you can and i'll give you the logic why so let's start with the first one the first one is a proper a proper risk assessment So what I mean by proper risk assessment is that, um, and and, and you can put just number one risk assessment if you want to, uh, or proper risk assessment, either way. But what I mean by that is when I speak at all these big groups, I ask people, what are you preparing for? And what kind of answers do I get? Oh, a large earthquake. I'm preparing for a hurricane. I'm preparing for EMTP attack. I'm preparing for food shortages. I'm preparing for inflation. I'm preparing. They tell me all these things. And that's what most people do. That's where people stop. They stop, okay? The truth is they have no clue what they're preparing for still. Because I can say, okay, what does what an EMP attack do to um, refrigeration? What does it do to transportation? What does the EMP attack do to the mentality of people in an area? What does um, EMP at- attack do to the large power transformers? How, how long do they need before those can be um, repaired or replace, uh, um how long before a riot starts breaking out? You know, 72 hours, right? Uh, Three uh, meals. How long, yeah, how long How long um, before bad people start doing bad things to good people? You know, what happens during an AP? And then, you know, the question, earthquake, okay? So what's the difference between a 5.0 and a 7.0 earthquake in your area? Like we live in Utah, right? Now where you live, um, where I just moved out of, by the way, is um is in where my store is 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 an ancient lake bed, okay mm-hmm. Now, you don't move out because you're afraid and all that stuff. You move out if the spirit tells you to, which is what happened to me. Okay. You stay there if you're supposed to stay there. You you know, even if you're going to die, you just follow the spirit. It doesn't matter. But what happens is in that ancient lake bed, when I was preparing for emergencies, I thought, well, if I'm going to teach people to do a proper risk assessment, which in my course, I actually compile all the information, like 80% of the information. So people don't have to do all the work I had to do. I teach people what to do, you know, like Mm -hmm. this is I'm going to do the risk assessment for you. And then you have 20 percent to do on your own because I, I don't live where you live. So what I did is I ended up learning a ton about earthquakes like what is a 5.0 what's a 7.0 what's a 10.0 you know where has been the where's the largest earthquake that ever happened what did it do how did it uh, what did it do around the area how, how did it what did it do for tsunamis like what what are, where are the best worst places in the United States for earthquakes and you know you people say California I go no where's the California is Oregon the coast of Oregon and Washington mm-hmm. Worse than that yep. You know Utah's really bad. The Midwest is really bad. Uh, you have all these different places that people don't even know about um, because they're just not aware of it. And so I ended up studying about earthquakes, and I put all that in my course. By the way, the stuff I studied, I, I passed on to other people. Um, but what's interesting is I ended up calling the state. I called um, local, like you know, the school boards, utilities. I started asking questions to find out what it is locally for me. And this is what I found out because. Uh, Utah Valley or uh, Salt Lake Valley is an ancient seabed. It's full of sand. If that sand starts shifting, there's a lot of water underneath, and we're going to have liquefaction. It's going to flood a lot of places. Okay, water is going to come up from the ground. Okay, worse than that is a lot of the valley has an- an- antiquated uh, water pipes, um, like clay pipes, and they don't switch yep. them out until they break. Okay, so what happens is when they break, they replace them. But a lot of the water mains, the the um, water uh mains go across the uh fault lines those yep. are going to break how do you fix 70,000 pipes in one week you can't you can't and the state um is preparing for several of the cities in Salt Lake to be without water for 12 months True. but how do you bring how do you bring enough water in tank tankers when the roads are damaged when there's a million people needing water every day how do you do it you know and the thing about it is it's difficult you can't you got to choose your battles And um, and so I teach people, here's how you do water the right way to be able to prepare for that. And there's a really easy way to do it. It doesn't have to be hard, but you can you can handle years of. Um, not having running water from the city if you know what to do if you know the right things to do now that's a risk assessment if you know your risks if you know you can be without water for 12 months your preparation is going to be different if you didn't know um well, if you didn't know that you'd be different than if you did know that right? right so a proper risk assessment is the first step to preparedness the second step is sudden emergency preparedness because once you know your risks you got to understand there's long term emergencies there's short term emergencies so sudden emergency preparedness has to do with your 72 or 96 or 120 hour uh kit right where you put it on your back and you head out but most people don't most people think that if they got their emergency grab and go kit they're totally ready for emergencies the dumb thing is most people haven't looked at the majority of of the of the emergencies in the world nobody leaves their home right okay? you very very rarely use that 72hour kit 96 hour kit you rarely very rarely use it. So it's a good thing to have. You should have your car kit, like I do. You should have your seventy-two hour kit, like I do. You should have your fire kit. You know, and if you're on the second story, you you should have your ladders. You should have everything to get out. I'm a fire firefighter. Fighter. I understand how dangerous it could be. Okay, you you should have your fire kit. Okay, that's not bad. You should have all that stuff. But that that's just the beginning of preparedness. But sudden emergency preparedness not only has to do with your grab-and-go kit, but it has to do with emergency plans. Like, what do you do if there's a 7.0 earthquake at 2 o'clock in the morning in the middle of winter at, at 7 degrees outside? What do you do? How do you do that? How do you handle it with your little kids and everything else? What do you do? So that's your plans. And, and luckily, I teach what to do I mean, for the most part in my courses. And then I, I have people create their own plans, right? And then you got to practice those plans at least once, right? You got to you got to um, take your plans, get your family together and say, if there were a 7.0 earthquake, let's pretend it's two o'clock in the morning and everybody get in bed and go to sleep. And then I'm going to shake the doors. <laughs> what do you do? You know, and then they all practice. They end up curling curling in a ball on their beds with their pillow over their head until the shaking stops enough that they can get to a place of safety. Right. And so they they learn what to do because they practice it. Well, you need to do that for three to five major emergencies that are sudden emergencies. Not long term, like an EMP or anything, but sudden emergencies. Okay. And you got to be ready for sudden emergencies. If you need to get out, stay there, uh, whatever it is. That's not number two. Number three is water. Okay. Now, water is super important. And you could put down water preparedness. That's a better way to put number three water okay. preparedness. A lot of people don't understand the rules of three, right? You can live three seconds or you can die in three seconds without hope, right? You can shoot yourself or whatever else. You can die three seconds without air. You can go uh, three three um, minutes without, uh, without um, uh, sorry, three minutes, three seconds without hope, three minutes without air, three hours without heat, okay? Three days without water, three weeks without food, and three three months without human interaction, right? You can go crazy. So so those are the rules of three. That three days without water is more important than three weeks without food. So I teach all about water and then I get to food and food is probably the biggest part of my courses is food because there's so much to food. There's short-term food storms, long-term food storage, growing food or replacing your food, uh, preserving your food, um, all these different things that have to do with food. And so that's just a whole huge section. And that's prep step number four, the seven step. The fourth step is number is food preparedness. Then you get to the fifth step, which is meet your other needs. Now people say, well, you can't put that all in one step. You know, heating, uh, um, sanitation, communication—all these different things are all in one step. They said you can't put that in one step because all all of those are, you know, could could be the difference between life and death. And I said, yeah, listen to what my words just said. Meet your other needs. Okay, you need these things, or else you could die if you didn't have them. But they all go in one step, and the reason they go in one step is because there there is a psyche that comes with food and water that does, doesn't come with the other ones. I could I could Jimmy rig almost everything in the other needs shelter, you know, sanitation, all this stuff I can Jimmy rig if I needed to. Okay, but I can Jimmy rig food and water.
0: Sure, yeah,
1: and those are needed. So so um in in emergency, food and water is your is your comfort and that's that's where you panic if you don't have it the other stuff you have time to figure out but food and water if you don't have it you panic and maybe toilet paper after 2020 i I would add toilet paper to that that list and i'm totally kidding but
0: (laughs) well that's funny you should bring that up because i have i have a friend who uh is a psychologist and i asked him about this i was like toilet paper explain (laughs) the run on toilet paper he said he said Well, he said, I looked at this and there's two things. One is, is like using toilet paper. That's one of those things you're like, okay, that separates us from the savages, right? From the animals. The other thing is, is that because toilet paper takes up a huge space on a shelf, right? It doesn't take long for that to go bare, right? Because really there's only like seven packages on a shelf. so. Because people were buying it and the shelf was empty, even though there were some in the back, it was yes. creating this perceived um a scarcity issue, and so people just saw the bare shelf yep. and was like, There's no more. And so then they went in the back and they got all that, and they thought, I better buy you know six of them now because there's a scarcity on the shelf, so You're yeah. It's yep. the whole
1: mentality. If everybody started grabbing, grabbing tomatoes, everybody else would grab tomatoes because they're like, yep. "Why is everybody grabbing tomatoes?" Yep. Know, if, it, if somebody started staring up in the sky and pointing, everybody would stop and start staring up in the sky. You know, it's like n- people follow people, right? They don't they don't have the logic sometimes. But again, going back to the preparedness side of this, why not get it ahead of time?
0: Right? You know, why
1: don't buy Why why not buy it for a dollar today, than ten dollars tomorrow? Yep. Right. Why, why don't you get it cheap while it's cheap and just store it up? Toilet paper isn't going to go bad. Absolutely. So why don't you just get a bunch of it, right? Yep. And so that's the idea. Now meet your other needs is step number five. Meet your other needs. Again, they're needs. You need them. But this, it's a whole different psyche um, than food and water, which you, those are the most important things for emergency preparedness. Food and water are the most important thing for a long-term emergency, period. Does that make sense?
0: Yep, absolutely. So it does.
1: Now we're going to get to prep step number six or number six uh, preparedness step. That is one that nobody really talks about in their preparedness courses. Very few people talk about it, and so number six is maintaining your standard of living. That's where I talk about silver. That's where I talk about buying extra supplies. Uh, that's where I talk about you know rainy day funds or talk about trading, uh, because in all reality, um, in fact, I'll give you a little uh, a little insight. People say, well, how would what, what would I trade during an emergency? And it's really simple. What do you what do you need to survive during an emergency? All the stuff I teach in preps um, in steps number one through six, right? All the stuff I ta- talk about that you should store up um, are the same things that other people are going to need during emergencies. If you need it, they need it. So right. if you buy extra, if you buy extra, great. And guess what? You can trade it during an emergency because other people are going to need it also. And so right. it's not it's not complicated to figure out what you should store up um, to trade. So it's really easy. Now that's number six, and I go into whole, how to maintain your standard of living because it doesn't make sense to have a whole you know room full of supplies and everything else, but then you get kicked out of your house and you're on the street. And where do you put your stuff, right? You know, you, you got to know how to protect your standard of living, right? And so the the last thing is um, is, is number seven uh, preparation step number seven is helping others prepare. If if you don't help others prepare, you're in trouble. And and um, you're only as prepared as your neighbors are. If your house is the only one on the street that has the lights on, if your house is the only one on the street where your kids are fat and happy and laughing and playing and everybody else is suffering and dying. okay. if your house is the only one with food on the table, okay, Um, it's not going to be long before people start saying it's not fair. You have food and my kids are dying. Right. Right. People, People go crazy. Yeah. And you do not know who's going to go crazy. You might think you know your neighbor. You might think they're the calmest, kindest, uh, most charitable person in the world, but you haven't seen them under pressure yet. You haven't seen them in a place where they're desperate and where they have to choose between your kids or their care or their kids,
0: right? And see, and here's so- the sad thing: we we see we saw it. We it's not like we haven't had warning shots across the bow on this. Yeah, that guy I was telling you about with Katrina. He said it took three meals. And that's the average American family. Yep. Any family is about three meals away from being without food. Yep. And this is his words, not mine. In three days, you saw the veneer of civilization ripped away from an entire metroplex in New Orleans. Absolutely. Three days. You're always
1: 72 hours away from a riot.
0: Yep. Yep, it, it doesn't take long. The average American family is not prepared to take some abuse as far as an emergency. We're just not.
1: You're absolutely right. That's the seven steps. I mean, I can go on literally for hours like we did, but um <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> I had no clue we were at two hours already. That's that's amazing to me. Yeah, um, it goes,
0: it goes quick. Do let's let's do this to, before we wrap up. Tell me yeah. about the challenge coming up. Tell okay. my listeners where they can go to to find that challenge. And uh, also, I will post the link when I release this podcast uh, on there.
1: And I'll get you a link. It's it's a five-day preparedness challenge. I'll, I'll get you a link so you can put it um, on there. You know, pre- it's a preparednesschallenge.com. Um, but I'm going to get you a link so you can have it. Um, so uh, just click on the link wherever you post it. And that'll go right to the right page. We're still finishing up the programming of it. We should be done probably hopefully this next week. Um, So I'll get you that and it should work just perfectly fine. If there's any problems, just write me and let me know, but it should be working perfectly fine. I'm going to be teaching um, for five days. I'm going to teach people how to do the seven steps of preparedness. I gave you a little taste of it, but I'm going to go more in depth on each one. So people understand a ton of stuff. My goal is to help 10,000 families get prepared. That's my big goal. Right now, this has become a, a mission of mine. Remember, I told you I'm not money motivated. It right. just has never been something for me. I really can care less. But I I love helping people and, and I love projects. And so right now, we've been gearing up in my warehouse. Um, I'm buying new equipment to be able to do millions of cans of food. And you want cans of food, right? By the way, you don't want mylar pouches and all that stuff. You want cans of food. That's the best way to go. And so we spend the money for cans because that's the right way to do it. And so we're gearing up um, with millions of dollars worth of food to be able to prepare for this challenge right now. And, and the goal is to be able to help a ton of families, 10,000 families get prepared within 90 days each. Okay. And so that starts with this, with this five-day challenge where I teach them what to do. Okay. And then I tell them what products to get. Then I give them discounts on the products so they can save money. I do all this stuff to be able to help the families get prepared. My goal is in the next year to be able to look back and know that I helped help 10,000 families get prepared. And hopefully those 10,000 families, even if I see zero money from it, help another 10,000, help another 10,000, help another 10,000. And hopefully there's a ripple effect that, that uh, touches millions and millions of people uh, to help them prepare for emergencies. All right, well, but that—that's it. I'll give you—I'll give you some information. My goal is to literally, literally help out a ton of people. I've got a bunch of, um, uh, my team is gearing up for this to be able to answer questions, help people. Um, that's our goal. We we feel like some really, really, really tough times are going to be coming, and and my mission, my personal mission, uh, my full time personal mission is to help as many good families as I can to prepare for the tough times that are coming and for the return of Jesus Christ, which again, it's the great and terrible, right? The good and the bad. Right. Um, we to prepare for both. And, and that's physically, spiritually, and always, right? Let's be part of the five virgins, not the other five, right? Absolutely. Um, five that were on um, and, and just one little more point. I was reading through uh, Just Smith Matthew just recently, and it's interesting. It talks about the good servant and the evil servant. The difference between the two is the good servant prepared, the evil servant. Right. Yep. And so whether that's spiritually, physically, whatever it is, let's be part of the five.
0: Absolutely. So before we go, I just want to recap here so people know where to go and what to do. Go to mormonrenegade.com or if you listen on Anchor, whatever it is you're listening on go to the episode number 42, Let's Get Prepared with Marcelo Sergiopoulos. At the bottom of the description of this podcast is a link. Click on that link and that will take you to the sign-up page for the 5-Day Preparedness Course. For $17, you get all 5 days with Marcelo where he breaks down these principles of being prepared. Now you can also sign up for a different option, which is forty-seven dollars, which gives you the ability to receive the audio and visual recording of the five-day preparedness course, and also an extra Q and A session with Marcelo, so you can pick the brain of an expert. Marcelo, you're a rock star. I I so enjoyed having you on, man. Um, I'd love to have you back on again. And and I tell all my guests this: if you've been on once, you got a standing invitation to come back on. Anytime you want, you just need to let me know, and we'll we'll make the time. But awesome. I, I, yeah, absolutely, folks. Something is coming. I, I can't tell you exactly what it is, when it's going to get here, but something's coming. Spend the time now to prepare. Look, Christmas is right around the corner, and I have adult children, and I don't get them crap any longer. Right? It's I give them food storage stuff. I give them things that that can last. The thing Marcelo's talking about with these courses and preparing, that is perfect. Get your loved ones something that can sustain them. Um, you, Marcelo, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being here. Let's do this again sooner than later. That'd be awesome. Awesome. Yeah,
1: let's, help, let's help more families. Let's do that.
0: Absolutely. Let's do that. All right. Bye, everybody.